Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What does Jesus's mission look like here? What's his mission here? What does Jesus's mission look like here? What does Jesus's mission look like here? What is Jesus's mission here? How do I know what Jesus's mission is? Anybody? Good morning. There you are. Hey, good to see you this morning. My name is Josh and uh, one of the pastors here. Uh, just really glad to be with you this morning. Welcome to all of you joining us online as well. Really glad that you can be here. Uh, hey, I wonder, have you ever found yourself in exactly the right place at exactly the right time? Like the person who took the picture of this moth they were in exactly the right place <clears throat> at exactly the right time to get that picture. Do you see it? Instead of Mother's Day, Moth Day, just right on top of it. Or uh, how about the person who got the picture of the moon here? He had to be at the right spot at the right time to make it line up like that, didn't he? Or how about this guy? He didn't even know he was in the right place at the right time when he was at this soccer game. And then whoever got the picture of this majestic cat had to be at exactly the right place at the right time. <laughs> and then of course here, Scott, he was in the right place at the right time. I assume that guy's name is Scott because it's pointing at Scott's head. Hey, uh, you know, this morning we're gonna be in the book of Acts and we're gonna see that God takes Philip and moves him to the right place at the right time to be his witness. And uh, he does the same thing today still for you and I. And he has us in the right place. He has us here at the right time. And he has you here today at the right time. And uh, so with that in mind, let me pray. And then we're gonna be in Acts chapter eight as we continue through the book of Acts. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. And Lord, uh, I thank you that you are in full control, that you're sovereign over every, uh, everything in life. And um, Father, I thank you too that you uh, work all things together for good and for your glory and for our joy in the end. And uh, Lord, that uh, you put us in the right place at the right time and we can take confidence in the ways that you did that with Philip, that you do the same with us. <clears throat> Holy Spirit, remind us of that today. Help me as, uh, and all of us as uh, teach your word to understand it, to be challenged by it and uh, change us through it, I pray. Lord, thanks for Jesus. We pray all this through him. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you got your Bible, turn to Acts chapter eight with me. And uh, if you're uh, just joining us for the first time in a while or you're just brand new even this morning or online, uh, we're working our way through the New Testament book of Acts. 
And Acts takes us uh, from the beginning of the church through uh, just how it progressed. And it, it begins with Jesus' ascension after his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And then we see how, uh, and his ascension then as well, and we see how the mission of Jesus continues by the power of his spirit through his people, and it's still happening today. Well, last Sunday, last couple Sundays, we saw the church continue to grow. We actually saw some of the first conflict in the church and then conflict against the church and the persecution of a guy named Stephen, who was the first to give his life for his faith, for proclaiming Jesus, and he just wouldn't quit talking about him, and he was murdered because of it. And after his murder, then a great persecution erupted uh, in Jerusalem, driving all of the believers out of town other than the apostles. They stayed, everybody else fled. And we were introduced last Sunday to a guy by the name of Philip, one of those who was driven out. And Philip goes north from Jerusalem to a place called Samaria, among a people that were uh, uh, really considered a mixed uh, group of people and, and really just a foreign group of people to the and an anathema in many ways to the Jewish people because of the ways they were intermarried with others of unlike faith. Yet Philip goes there, preaches the gospel, and there's some incredible things that happen as the people trust Christ in that place. In fact, there was even a guy named Simon who was a magician who we read believed and got baptized, but then we kind of figure out later he was trying to buy God's power with silver, so he was really just there for the show. He never really believed. And it's a good reminder that baptism, by the way, if you're interested in getting baptized, we're gonna see baptism in the text today, and you can get baptized on Easter if you haven't yet, uh, but the baptism doesn't save us. Because Simon, I don't think, as I read the text, was saved. His faith wasn't in the gospel, it was in something totally different. And so uh, all of that leads up to the fact that we get to Acts chapter eight and we read this, that now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go to the south. Philip's ministry was blossoming in Samaria. Tons of people were coming to faith. God was just doing incredible signs and wonders through him and in the church and demons were getting cast out of people, people were getting healed, all kinds of good stuff. And Philip, as he's leading in this place, he's gotta be thinking, man, this is awesome. I'm gonna stay here forever. But God ends up moving him on, doesn't he? he? He has to go to him. He sends an angel to him that says, Philip, uh, get up and go south. Get up and go south. And notice where it says to go? Do you remember what was south? Jerusalem. Get up and go south down to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. Uh, if you're Philip, you had just fled Jerusalem. And now you're in a place where God's doing incredible things, things are going well. And now an angel shows up and says, uh, hey, Philip, I want you to go back that direction. <laughs> what would you be thinking? You want me to go back where they killed Stephen? You want me to go back where all these things are happening? But here's the deal. Here's what I want you to see. Is that uh, God ends up putting Philip and he puts us in the right place. He, he puts us in the place he wants us to be. And he's gonna do that here in a moment with Philip. 
He, he does it by sending an angel to him to get his attention. And he says, rise up, go to the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem. Remember down from Jerusalem? Because Jerusalem is on a mountain. Go down on that road that goes from Jerusalem down to Gaza. You know, I don't know about you, but I've never had an angel show up to me and speak. Have you? If you have, I'm kind of jealous because I think that'd be pretty cool. But I never have. <clears throat> and I read this passage and I read passages like this and I think sometimes, man, God, that'd be great if you'd just speak to me audibly or send someone to me. Tell me exactly what to do in this situation or that situation or life in general. Uh, and who knows, maybe someday an angel will visit me. Maybe I'll be, be blessed that way. Maybe you will too, who knows. But what I do know is that even though he hasn't, uh, God's still in control. And he is still leading and directing me. And what we refer to this as is God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty is to say that he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, according to his good pleasure and according to his nature. He can do whatever he wants and whatever, whenever he wants according to his good pleasure and according to his nature. He's not gonna do something that's contrary to himself, right? But in that boundary, he's, he can do whatever he wants at any time and he is in full control of all things. That's really another way to think of sovereignty. God's in control. That, that nothing escapes his watchful eye. When you feel like, well, does he really know? Does he really care? Yeah, he does. Nothing escapes it. That uh, he guides and purposes all things. Even things that happen in a chaotic way that uh, are in rebellion against him, he can take those awful things and he can work them in such a way in his sovereignty that he uses them for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Like in the Old Testament, Joseph saying, uh, you know, you all meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He's sovereign over all things. <clears throat> and in his sovereignty, one of the things he's sovereign over is having us in the right place, having you in the right place and me and Philip in this case. So while I've never had an angel come to me or heard God speak audibly, even in the times I've wondered through my life, you know, am I in the right place? Is, is, is this what God's doing? I'm reminded of his sovereignty and his control. In fact, later in Acts, when we get eventually to chapter 17, uh, Luke records uh, Paul preaching. And one of the things he says, uh, Paul says, well, from one man, God made all the people of the world, from Adam and from Eve. And now they all live all over the earth. And then check this out. God decided exactly when they should live and he decided exactly where they should live. God's placed everyone in his sovereignty, including you and I, in the exact place he wants us. He either led you to that place in your obedience to him or he's working in the midst maybe even of disobedience to, to bring you and have you in the right place where he wants you. He's bigger, his sovereignty is bigger even than your uncertainty. And that's a great comfort to my heart, I don't know about yours, but he's in control. 
And uh, if we obey God and seek to please him, then we can be in his will and his sovereignty is bigger than our fear that, well, maybe I missed out. Maybe I missed it. Maybe I messed up. Maybe, no, he's in control. But there are times where God does give us specific direction and calling to specific places. So live in step with the spirit, right? That's what we're called to do. So that you and I can be guided by his spirit. Uh, Paul says this too to the church in uh, his letter to the Galatians. He says, uh, but I say, walk by the spirit. And then you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Then you won't sin, walk by the spirit. Later in that same chapter, he says, if we live by the spirit, then let us also keep in step with the spirit. Well, if you remember, uh, we're talking about Philip here this morning. In Acts chapter six, verse three, one of the things we read about Philip and the seven, the others he was chosen alongside is that he was full of wisdom and he was full of the spirit. So uh, how do I know when I'm full of the spirit and so I can walk in step with the spirit? Well, in between those two verses, Paul kind of gives us the diagnosis, kind of the test to see. And he calls it the fruit of the spirit that'll be evident in your life. If you're walking by the spirit, then you're gonna see love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control become evident in your life in increasing measure. That's the fruit of walking in the spirit. If you're like, I don't have any of those, Josh, well, then you might not be walking in the spirit because that's what the spirit produces in our lives, right? So, so look for those things and, and you'll know. And we see God's sovereignty at work in Philip's life in this passage. And I would contend then that Philip, uh, as he's walking in the spirit, we're gonna see him obey the spirit in a moment, that he probably had all of these things evident in his own life because he was a man full of wisdom and of the spirit. Well, this angel comes uh, from God and he says to Philip, Philip, get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's a desert place. I mentioned we've been talking about God's sovereignty, but uh, God is sovereign, but there's, here's what's, here's what's strange to me. God is sovereign, he's in full control, right? Do you agree? And yet he also teaches in his word that we have some responsibility and things we're to obey, that we're responsible for. Yet he's still in full control. Yet I've got responsibility. And sometimes I go, how do those two things work together? You know what my conclusion is? I don't know. (laughs) You okay with that? But that's what God's word says that he is in full control. And at the same time, I'm, I have responsibility to be obedient to him and to follow him. And that when I choose to sin, I'm choosing to suffer and things aren't gonna go great. God's sovereignty and it works hand in hand with our obedience, hand in hand with it. And sometimes his sovereignty and allowing consequence for our sin or things that are hard, is his, his sovereign goodness to say, hey, what are you doing that for? Uh, does that hurt? Well, then come back to me. <laughs> come back. Do you see? And that's his sovereignty. Well, uh, look at Philip's obedience. 
Philip, uh, after God told him, go down to Jerusalem, toward Jerusalem, he rose and he went. He rose and he went. We don't know if there was any delay or if it was a couple days, if he talked with the angel a little bit. Are you sure about that? You're really an angel. Sure. Okay. And he rose and he went. He obeyed. And it couldn't have been easy. And he goes, we don't know if he went exactly through Jerusalem or just around it, but either way, he had to go toward it and toward where uh, things were gonna be rough for him. So he goes toward Jerusalem and uh, that had to be a surprise that God called him to go back. But then the surprise he finds when he gets to the road God sent him to had to be just as big, if not bigger of a surprise. Because there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who is in charge of all our treasures. Uh, Well, let's look at this and unpack it a little bit. First off, uh, we read, he runs into this guy. He's an Ethiopian, part of this description. Um, We don't wanna ignore this because being an Ethiopian uh, in all likelihood means that his skin was very, very dark. Uh, Ancient Ethiopia would be uh, more modern day Sudan. Uh, And it was considered by many in that day and age the ends of the earth. It was called that in a lot of ancient Near Eastern literature outside of the Bible. Luke's kind of showing us, hey, uh, the gospel went from Judea to Samaria and it's going to the ends of the earth, foreshadowing what's gonna come later in the book. But uh, it's just a reminder, Luke wants us to recognize, hey, God's gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ is for anyone, no matter where you're from, no matter the color of your skin, no matter the language you speak, it's for you. It's for you. And Luke's highlighting that fact for us. Uh, The second thing, the fact that he's an Ethiopian means he had traveled a long way. Let me just show you. Uh, Here's the map I had showed you last Sunday. Uh, Philip began in Jerusalem, fled to Samaria. Now he's coming back to Jerusalem and he's gonna meet this guy somewhere on a road that goes down from Jerusalem and winds its way down along the Mediterranean Sea. And right underneath that label, maybe you can tell it, there's a city called Gaza there. And he's on his way down to that city where he meets this guy. And he's actually, we're gonna read in a bit, he's on his way back home to Ethiopia. Well, uh, look at how far away this actually is. He had a long ways to go. Uh, This is modern Sudan and uh, ancient Moro is the city likely kingdom he would have been from where he served as treasurer for uh, Queen Candace, we read. Uh, the only thing really left of that time there now is uh, these old uh, Sudanite pyramids, they're called. Sudanese pyramids, excuse me. But uh, he runs into this guy who had traveled an incredibly long way. And he was from a kingdom, as you saw there, a pretty good sized area compared to Israel that was of no small importance either. And uh, as we read, uh, I mentioned, you know, uh, Ethiopia was considered the end of the earth. And this guy had come from the end of the earth and he was evidently a guy of um, uh, pretty high stature, you could say. He was a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Now we might be tempted to kind of look back through history and go, okay, well, who is Candace? Who is she? Well, Candace is actually, it comes from uh, uh, some uh, a title called Candake that starts with a K. 
And it's really a title like Pharaoh is for the kings of Egypt. The Candakes were the queens uh, of some of these African kingdoms. And so Candace is actually her title more than her name. She was, that was her title. And there were a number of uh, different queens. Uh, one uh, that it's likely here, based on the time frame uh, that, uh, that uh, this Ethiopian eunuch was serving was, and I'm gonna mess her name up, Queen uh, Amanator or Amanatore. I don't know exactly how to say it. Starts with an A if you wanna look it up. But it's likely that's who he was serving. And notice he's, he's well-trusted because he's in charge of all of her treasure. You don't put every, somebody in charge of, of all your treasure if you're a queen of a pretty good-sized kingdom unless you trust them, do you? So he was of high stature. But in this description, we also learned that he was, he was actually of a pretty low social status in another regard. Right here, he's a eunuch. A, a eunuch refers to a man that's been castrated and often also dismembered. And uh, this would uh, be common for men, especially uh, in the ancient Near East, to be uh, castrated and dismembered if they were in charge of a king's harem of women or if they had duties that regularly involved close contact with the queen, uh, such as this Ethiopian guy would have had. But to appreciate just the impact of what's happening, uh, let's review the background here just one last time. This guy's from Africa, uh, most likely modern day Sudan. He's, he's very dark skinned. Uh, as we're gonna see, he's, he's coming uh, from Ethiopia in a very significant role. He's the treasurer for the queen, uh, a position of great importance and we're gonna see here in a moment too, he was coming to Jerusalem to worship God. He was a God-fearer. That set of other guys like uh, Cornelius later in the text in chapter 10. Not Jewish, but Gentiles who still feared and worshiped the Jewish God. He feared God. And um, well, let me just read to you here from Craig Ott in his book, uh, The Church on Mission. Uh, got it here. His story, talking about the, the eunuch, is surrounded by supernatural events and coincidences. Philip is directed by an angel to the location on a desert road where he meets the Ethiopian. And, and the eunuch possesses an Isaiah scroll, highly unusual. We're gonna see that in a moment. And he just happens to be reading a messianic text, a text about Jesus from Isaiah while riding in a carriage. And then they, they find water in the desert for his baptism. And after their encounter, the spirit carries Philip away to another place. We're gonna see that as well. All of this highlights God's sovereignty. And that this episode was of particular significance in the unfolding story in Acts of the gospel moving to the ends of the earth, which is what Ethiopia was, breaking barriers and expectations. The Ethiopian eunuch represents the marginalized of society. Here's where I wanna draw your attention. The marginalized of society who now not only is fully accepted by God, but also becomes likely the first person to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. This eunuch was marginalized. Um, we're gonna see here, he represented a, a group of people that uh, just were on the outcasts of society. 
Well, this book is actually about uh, the free church mission, our denomination. Our mission is to multiply transformational churches among all people, no matter who they are, where they're from. And uh, the, the eunuch really represents, the Ethiopian eunuch represents that mission in many ways. But let me just try to help you understand uh, what Ott means there when he writes that he was marginalized. According to uh, uh, Eckerd Schnabel, eunuchs were among the most ridiculed persons of ancient society. They were considered sexual deviants because they had been emasculated and changed the makeup of their bodies. First century Jewish historian Josephus wrote this. He said, eunuchs were to be detested, summarizing here, and conversation with them avoided because they were of a, quote, monstrous nature. They were just monsters. The Jewish writer uh, Philo called them worthless persons, eunuchs. They were considered to be sexless and without gender. One uh, second century writer in the Roman world says this of eunuchs. He, he writes that such people ought to be excluded, not simply from uh, philosophy, but even from temples and holy water bowls and all the places of public assembly. Uh, this writer continues, he says, it's an ill-omened, ill-met sight if on first leaving home in the morning, one should set eyes on such a person. Neither man nor woman, but something composite, hybrid, and monstrous. They're alien to human nature. Pretty rough, huh? Uh, Even in scripture, in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse one, Moses explicitly excluded eunuchs from the assembly of the Lord. Said no one... Uh, whose, whose male organs cut off shall join the assembly of the Lord. They're just, they're considered sexual deviants and on the outcast of society. And no, you're not welcome here. And so they were relegated to be outside of the temple, outside of the assembly of God's people, even if they were to worship. Well, with that in mind, consider this Ethiopian eunuch who is also a treasurer of very high esteem, but also of this low low social status, traveling all that way from modern day Sudan to Jerusalem to worship and getting there only likely to have been turned away from worshiping because he was a eunuch. See, he had come to Jerusalem to worship and now he was returning. We don't know if he got to worship We don't know if maybe that was his first trip there. Somehow he had heard about this Jewish God and wanted to worship and we have no idea. But he was turned away, likely. And as he's returning, seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. That's interesting. Where did he get a scroll? People didn't have version on their phones back in the first century, you know? And to get a scroll was really unusual. It would have been expensive. Well, he did have the means, being in charge of all the the money there. But what we're going to see here in a moment is that uh, God sends Philip to him. But actually, before I do, I just want to draw this question for you. I wonder for you to think about as we keep going. Who, Who are the marginalized ones in your life and in your world? 
that, that you come in contact with day in, day out, live on your street in your neighborhood. You know, uh, God put Philip in the right place, as we're gonna see, to interact with this guy. He's put you in the right place to interact with that person or that group. Philip obeyed after God sovereignly put him there. Will you and I obey when God's put us there? Or maybe just who simply needs to hear the gospel from you. Just in general. God's put you in that place. Will you obey? But not only this, see, uh, God puts Philip not only in the right place, but there at the right time. At the right time. Timing is everything, they say, right? Well, uh, God has Philip come across this eunuch at the perfectly right time. Look at verse 29. And the spirit said to Philip, uh, go over and join this chariot. Hmm. So Philip, again, he obeys. He in fact, he ran to him. Now, I don't know if he ran, if Luke's telling us he ran because he was just that obedient or if because he's chasing a chariot and he has to get onto the chariot. But when he gets close there, he hears him reading Isaiah the prophet. That's strange. Now, uh, we're gonna see in a moment here what he was reading, but we're not told why he was reading. And I have a theory I think the why of the eunuch reading from Isaiah is my guess is that maybe when he got to Jerusalem and was turned away and unable to worship, somebody said, you can't worship, you can't join us, but uh, someday you might be able to. Isaiah talks something about eunuchs worshiping. And I wonder if he was searching for this passage in Isaiah 56. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. I'm, I'm dry and worn out just to be burned and thrown out, worthless. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I'll give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. If I'm right, and he had been turned away from worshiping in the house, now he's looking for this. Well, where's this passage where I'm gonna get to be in the house? And he buys a copy of the scroll and that's conjecture on exactly how all that went down, but I do think he was likely aware of this passage and that's why he's reading Isaiah. But as he's reading, he's actually reading something else, maybe searching for this. And the spirit says to Philip, go over and join him in the chariot. So Philip ran and he hears him reading Isaiah and he said, uh, when he hears what he is reading, he says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? Do you know what that is that you're reading? And the eunuch said to him, well, how can I? Unless somebody guides me. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. He may have been turned away previously, but now he's the one inviting Philip to sit with him. And Philip jumps in with him. Now the passage, Luke tells us of scripture that he was reading, it was from Isaiah 53. 
Isaiah 53, the end of 52 and 53 are one of the most uh, famous passages about the atonement and about the work of Jesus on the cross, prophesied hundreds of years before his life, death, and burial, resurrection. Uh, Like a sheep, speaking of Jesus, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before his shearer, it's, it's silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? Isaiah 53, seven and eight. And after he reads it, the eunuch said to Philip, uh, after they start talking, Philip jumps up in the chariot. Hey, I, I gotta ask you, who, who's he writing about? Is he writing about himself? Or is he writing about somebody else? Now, uh, what we're gonna see here that Philip does, and it's a good lesson for us too as we interact with people. And by the way, now I'm speaking to those of you, you've trusted Christ and God calls you to share your faith. We're sent to love people and invite them to follow Jesus with us. Is start with others where they're at. Don't start with what you know. It's a great principle of evangelism. And that's what Philip does. Philip doesn't run up alongside the chariot. Let me tell you about Jesus, you know? He says, hey, do you know what you're reading? He just pays attention to what's going on and asks some questions and gets invited in. And then he begins to share what he knows. We see this principle unfold later in Acts with Paul as well. Paul goes to this place called the Areopagus, sometimes called Mars Hill, all these philosophers who they just like to talk about whatever was new. And he says, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious. For as I passed along and I observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. He starts with where they're at. He's just taking uh, observation of their culture and what's going on and, and what they think and what they believe and why. Uh, You know, I hate to break it to you, but we live in a post-Christian culture. Our culture is not, quote unquote, Christian anymore. Uh, And what that means is that as we share the gospel, uh, especially with younger generations, and I think probably increasingly so, you're not gonna be able to just start with what you know. They're gonna have no context for that. You need to start with where they're at. So uh, think about this in terms of culture and art and other things, right? Maybe you, uh, you see a movie and you're like, man, why did they make that movie? That is awful. I'm so offended by that. You had that experience? Yeah. Well, as you're seeking to reach a culture where that's celebrated, you have to go, okay, why is that celebrated? Why are there people who, who love that? What's behind the scenes going on there that, and you gotta understand, you gotta seek to understand and seek to meet them where they're at, you see? Not, not succumb to it, not acquiesce to it, but just say, what, what is going on there and why? You can still be offended by it. It's, it's still likely even offensive to God and to his word. 
But to really love them, you, you do need to seek to understand. A lot of times we, we, we receive culture and we'll take it and we'll just, we'll immediately take it through the Christian meat grinder, to quote a prof from Trinity. And, uh, you know, just grind it up and spit it out and that's awful. Okay, well, there's a, there's a whole world that thinks it's wonderful, that needs Jesus. I've got to figure out why do they think it's wonderful so that I can help them understand something that's more wonderful. Do you see? And to do that, you've got to meet people where they are. Not, not immediately uh, start with what you know and at the same time, then uh, seek to understand. And this is what Paul does. He meets them where they are and he's like, I, I passed along. You have all these objects of worship. I even found this inscription. It said to an unknown God. That's right where they are. He's commending them for being so religious. That's a great thing. Hey, by the way, I know that God, that unknown God. And then he takes the time to share what he knows. And he seeks to understand, not just to be understood. Seeks to understand, not just be understood. Uh, after this, Paul ends up traveling on to Corinth uh, in, in where we were at there in Acts 17. And he later writes to, to Corinth, you know, I've become all things to all people so that some might trust Christ. We need to seek to understand. You know, that's really pretty good advice for any relationship. Would you agree? I mean, before you're understood, not just seeking to be understood. It's a good advice for a marriage. Seek to understand Peter tells us, husbands, love your wife in an understanding way. Not just seek to be, well, they don't get it. No, understand. Or um, in a friendship or in a work relationship, seek to understand before you just seek to be heard and understood. And that comes to everything like we were just talking about in our culture, whether it's a movie, a song, technology, a work of art, a subculture of people. Seek to understand and love them where they're at, and then bring to bear the gospel in a way that's helpful, and be his witnesses. Uh, this, is, this is what happens with Philip. God puts him in the right place at the right time. Think of the timing. He happens to be reading from that passage in Isaiah. He puts him at right, exactly the right place, exactly the right time. Why? So that Philip then in that moment can meet him where he's at and share the gospel. I'm convinced God has you in exactly the right place at exactly the right time among exactly the right people for the same reason, if you're a follower of Christ, to be his witness that you and I are sent then to love people. Uh, we give you kind of a tool for this. Uh, the last couple of years called PEARL. And it's just, PEARL is just an acronym. Uh, in fact, uh, we have some devotionals. There's, I didn't check after this service if everybody grabbed them or not. There were only a handful of these left. We had, had like 300 of them. It's just like a daily devotional. There's, there were seven or eight left, I think. But it's just, uh, it walks you through the text. Otherwise, there's a copy online too, a digital one, uh, wawacbible.com slash pearl. Uh, but it's an acronym for how you might be a witness to those who need to know the gospel. First, pray. Pray for them. 
genuinely pray. Pray for their good, pray for their flourishing, pray for God to be at work. Every good thing starts with prayer. And then maybe pray for an opportunity to invite them over for a meal or go out for breakfast or grab lunch, eat with them. You ever notice when you eat with somebody, it's a little easier just to have a gentle conversation and not be as angry about something or get into an argument? And it's really how we get to know one another and slow down. Have a meal with them. Then ask some questions. Really get to know them as a friend. Hey, tell me your story. Where'd you grow up? Where'd... Hear about them. Get to know them. And then when the time comes, they're going to ask you some questions back and you can reveal your story. And eventually during that volleying back and forth, you can even reveal your story of what Jesus has done in your life and you can reveal Jesus' story. Invite them even to follow Jesus with you. And if they don't, no matter what, love them tangibly. See, here's the thing. As you seek to witness to somebody, people are people, not projects. So seek them as a friend. Be a friend to them. What was one of Jesus' famous titles and why they ridiculed him so often, the religious people? Because he's a friend of sinners. I bet Jesus was friends with a lot of people who never trusted him. Befriend him, because we're sent to love people and invite them then to follow Jesus with us. And as you do, as you get to reveal your story, and we're gonna see Philip do this as we wrap, uh, tell them what Jesus did. Don't just start with what they must do. Tell them what Jesus did. Listen, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you don't ever share that, well, Jesus said you, you do need to repent. You need to turn from your sin. You need to walk in holiness. You need to, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is don't start with, you're going to hell and beat him on the head because what kind of audience will that win? Jesus said that to the religious people, not the people who were hurting and seeking. Here's what Philip does. He wins that audience, he meets him where he's at, he hops up in the chariot with him. I wonder how many of the Jewish leaders that maybe turned him away from the temple would have hopped in the chariot with the eunuch. Philip does. And then he opens his mouth and beginning with that scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Tell him the good news. And as they were going along the road, then they came to some water and the eunuch said, hey, here's some water. What prevents me from getting baptized? Their conversation had clearly gone on for a while at this point. And I would ask you, if you're a follower of Jesus and you haven't been baptized, what, what prevents you from getting baptized? We're having some on Easter and would love for you to get baptized. You can let us know at the Connect desk or text us. And then it goes from 36 to verse 38. Do you notice in your Bible, if you've got an ESV or even NIV, there's no verse 37? Did somebody cut it out? What happened? They don't know how to count. Well, here's what happened is uh, in the King James Version, and uh, New King James even carries this on. There's a verse in there, verse 37, that, so you might have it depending on what version of the scripture you have that says, 
If you believe with all your heart, Philip said, you may. And the eunuch replied, I believe Jesus is the son of God. And that then he got baptized. Well, uh, the King James and New King James was based on uh, older manuscript, older meaning younger. So like if uh, there, I don't have these dates, I'm just throwing numbers at you right here, okay? I can look them up if you're really curious. But let's say there was a manuscript from 2000 years after it was written that had that verse 37 in there. Well, since then, a manuscript that was maybe a thousand years older than that has been found that doesn't have it. What's that tell you? 37 was added somewhere in those years in between, right? And so most translations then will leave it out and just leave a note that, hey, this was in some, uh, some manuscripts, but not the earliest ones. Either way, it doesn't affect the text. It just goes on. Uh, somebody was trying to clarify why he would want to be baptized. And so the eunuch commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him right there. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. He's just teleported somewhere by God's power and in his sovereignty. I've never had an angel appear to me. I've never had God just take me somewhere. If he does, I'm hoping it's somewhere warm, like maybe Florida in February, right? Well, uh, Philip actually gets carried further north. We're gonna see here. The eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. God put Philip in that exact right place at the exact right time to be his witness. Philip, we read, uh, just as a side note, found himself, this is the end of what we read about Philip to later, uh, found himself in this uh, city of Azotus, and then that's Ashdod in the Old Testament. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel, working his way up the Mediterranean Sea to a place called Caesarea. In chapter 21, we read he has a home there that Paul and Luke and others uh, come to visit him. It's likely where Luke heard all these stories to be able to include him in the text. But friends, uh, God puts us in the right place at the right time to be his witness. And uh, uh, so if you're a follower of Jesus, he's, he's put you around the right people for right now. It's not to say he'd never take you somewhere else, but right now you're in the right place. He's sovereign over that. So be his witness. I'd also say this, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, He's got you in the right place too, right here today at the right time to hear the gospel, to know Jesus lived a perfect life in your place, died on the cross for your sin and my sin, all of our sin, and would then give and, and rose from the grave to give his life to you, real life to any who would believe. All you have to do is believe in faith. Let me pray.